Today, we have a founder who's creating a modern insurance provider for the collectibles industry that was made for collectors and by collectors. Calvin Bradley is the founder of Wax, a digital insurance company for collectors to protect the value of their collections by making collecting safer, easier, and more community-oriented. Insurance is a major challenge in the collectible space. It's often hard to properly appraise valuable items on a real-time basis as there is yet to be real-time data in many collectibles markets. Wax is building a modern insurance provider Founded by a team that has deep experience owning collectibles, they have created a mobile app to enable users to take pictures of their collectibles and have them protected real time. And as more collectibles purchases move online, Wax is working with retailers at point of sale systems to offer insurance at the time of purchase. Calvin has quite a fascinating background to launch Wax. Calvin was a former Olympic level modern pentathlete from South Africa before teaming up with David Nichols, the former global president of K-Swiss to launch Wax. Calvin also co-founded Blockchain for Change in 2016. They've since launched a product that is built for the digital age of insurance and for the collectibles world. Calvin and I had a fascinating conversation about how the modern world of collectibles requires a modern digital insurance solution, how NFTs factor into the world of collectibles, and what the future looks like for WAX. Thanks, Calvin, for coming on the AGM podcast. We hope you enjoy this episode. Calvin, welcome to the Alco's Mainstream Podcast. Hey, Michael. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me and uh, really excited to be part of what you're building here. Yeah, no, I'm really excited to share more about Wax with the world. Let's start with your personal journey to Wax. You have a fascinating background that includes a number of things and would love to hear about that to start. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely been an interesting journey and, and one that I'm incredibly proud of. But, you know, all journeys have a beginning. And, you know, my beginning with Wax really started in, in 2017, where the world was really going wild about blockchain and cryptocurrency. And I happened to be in New York and I happened to have decided to pursue an entrepreneurial journey and take on that lifestyle and happened to be fortunate enough to go to a number of blockchain meetups where I was getting you know, free pizza and beer and uh, met a lot of really interesting folks who really inspired me to go down this road. And at the same time, I was really passionate about what was happening at StockX and Goat and Real Real and how those businesses had really legitimized collectibles and luxury goods as an asset class. And so with what I was hearing and the observations from the blockchain world and where this digitization of, of assets was going, as well as the consumer behavior and the hype around those asset classes, I was like, wow, that's a really interesting marriage there. And so my original thought was, you know, observe, I wanted to create a thesis around it, understand the market. You know, I didn't grow up wanting to uh, be a, a, an insurance agent or, or start an insure tech company. 
But as these markets were maturing, I knew there was going to be a ton of new entrants, a ton of new innovations. And so where I really landed on was folks that are going to win in this space are going to win on price transparency, authenticity, and downside protection. So what about the insurance problem in the collectible space made you say, I had to go and solve this? Yeah, that's a great question. It definitely didn't start with, oh, wow, there's a huge issue in insurance. It really started with, oh, wow, there's a huge issue with fraud and authenticity on these online marketplaces and more and more people are coming on board and they're becoming more and more sophisticated and there's more and more wealth being transferred there. And so it was really trying to create this source of truth or standardization around ownership, provenance. And what's great about insurance is that a lot of the data requirements that an insurance company needs in terms of what you have and the price align a a lot with what you need to create that kind of trust in a marketplace. And then the upside of that from a business perspective is the barrier to entry is pretty uh, steep because if you commit fraud in an insurance world, that's a federal crime. Whereas the penalty on a marketplace is what, maybe you have to return funds or you get kicked out. I don't even know what most of the, the protocol on that is. It's definitely a marriage of sort of data and business alignment And where the real light bulb moment was for us is as we're building out uh, this strategy for creating a, you know, consumer facing registry where we really believe that people would be incentivized to come online, certify their luxury goods, have brands be part of that process. Insurance became this interesting revenue opportunity. And I got introduced to a number of folks in the insurance world. And that was an eye-opening experience for me. And that's when I was, that's the real opportunity here. The main takeaways were uh, huge friction for both clients and brokers in getting third-party appraisals, massive price discrepancies, poor payout history, not a lot of knowledge in terms of the collectible space. And then I think the most attractive as an entrepreneur was looking at what was happening in the financial services industry and how these platforms had adopted financial tech and applied it to collectibles and looking at insurance and going, okay, well, in a person's life, usually the most accumulative assets that we have are homes and order. And so the insurance industry for as long as it's existed has had products to you know, take care of folks in that regard. Now collectibles arguably is as uh, valuable asset class as auto. Sometimes I've definitely seen folks with collections larger than most people's homes. So it makes sense that there would be a a policy that was catered towards the specific asset class. I think you're bringing up so many interesting points in here around how to think about valuing assets, how to think about valuing assets real time, about fraud associated with it. Let's lay out the landscape first. There's obviously ultra high net worths who have their insurance carriers who help them think through the high net worth insurance they have, art, jewelry, watches, collectibles, et cetera. What does that market look like? Uh, There's the chubs and the pures of the world that I think do a really great job in managing their high net worth clients. They have programs you know, for all asset class categories, and they're highly invested in those clients, what tends to happen is 
However, if you are a high net worth individual, you're buying into one policy over another. So you want to work with Chubb, they say, great, you have this awesome collection. We'll only work with you if you do home and auto with us as well. Uh, we will handle your personal lines, but the premium is going to be considerably more. So what you generally find, because the insurance world is so intermediated at that level, is the packages or the, the competition around those policy packages is really where they control the market. Where WAX really comes in as a differentiator is we allow a, a single monoline policy. So it's not attached to your home or auto. Uh, you're spreading risk. Uh, our prices are hopefully considerably lower. Uh, and so we're working with brokers and agents to try and integrate this as part of that policy package. So not only can you have this individual rider for your collectibles that you're able to update when and if you need, if you go in and out of your policy or their price changes, but you're also in a comfortable financial position where it still makes sense to have order and home with a, a, a Chubb or a peer. Interesting. So you're sitting in between this ultra high net worth policy and experience that's great for certain people who have certain net worth in their collection. And then on the other side, like the home and renters, it sounds like doesn't seem to cover these policies very well, or, or most people don't think to get their collectibles covered by these policies. Is that how that side of the world works? That's the, the baseline starting point. I think most people would be shocked to go look at their home and renters and realize that their personal items are only covered to like 20 or 50,000 at most. Even with your high net worth coverage, you, you're looking at things like actual cash value versus replacement first. You're looking at umbrella policies where, for example, if you've itemized a card collection and you've said these are PSA rated, et cetera, et cetera, you've bought more during the time that you've had that policy and you have to file a claim. If you haven't declared those additional pieces to the insurance carrier, they won't cover you for those losses, even if it's within your umbrella. I think you're bringing up a really interesting point there, given that we're seeing a takeoff in interest in collectibles and an increase in prices in many collectibles. So look at the sports card space. There are cards that have gone up fivefold, tenfold in the last six months to a year. So you're saying that those cards may not be covered at the level that their current market value is on, on their policy. When we look at the collectible space as an asset class, whether you're a high net worth individual uh, or just entering the market, the three key things that really matter to, to people that are investing their time, energy, uh, and passion in, into the collectible space. And number one is that they want a, an asset valuation and it, it better be free. That's one thing that we've innovated on. We've pioneered the market in. We have the digital database to you know, accurately price items and the expertise to do so. Second, you know, it is, as I mentioned, the expertise within the asset class. When you're speaking to someone at Wax, we're collectors and this platform was built for collectors. You're not dealing with a broker that is just trying to get you on in your home in order. We specifically know what's in your collection, why it's valuable, and what you're really looking for in terms of downside protection. And then the third is understanding the client base and the needs that they have. And so Wax is far more than just an insurance company. We're really proud of building and establishing a trusted brand for collectors to purchase insurance online. And as we build out that community and brand, we're definitely looking to add additional services and value to our community as the collectible market grows. 
And as we're able to really create a, a source of truth and trust around real products with real price accuracy. On that last point, you're hitting on something that is so key to the industry and the evolution of the industry, which is how do you get real-time price data? How do you think about that in the context of capturing the right data, being able to continuously update that data, and then being able to underwrite things properly? It's a great question. So I think the question of real-time data accuracy is the real golden egg in the market. I don't think anyone's really quite solved that. From our perspective, the partnerships that we have in terms of secondary markets, auction houses, retailers, those are a great source of information because anytime someone is purchasing something, the price that they're purchasing that item is the appraised value. So that's a great first step for us. Is it truly the appraised value? I understand that it's the market value, but if somebody buys something on eBay for $1,000 more than it was bought for five days ago on a PSA 10 rookie card for XYZ player, that may be the current market value, but is that truly the appraised value? And how do you think about the difference between market value and appraised value? Sure. So the appraised value historically was whoever was the expert You'd take it to a watch dealer or a jeweler or you know a, a card grader, and they'd assign a value. You'd get a nice certificate, and you'd attach that as part of your insurance policy. What we've you know been able to uh, innovate on today is say you know, that's totally not aligned with both the consumer interest or the insurer's interest. Plus, that price changes dynamically. And it's far more accurate to get a data set from the broader market than it is an individual's appraisal of your specific piece. So I think that's one point. Another great litmus test, which I think you know, it was a, a huge attraction for me in, in the context of insurance in the collectible space and the narrative around price transparency is that the behavior economics, if you want to call it that, of most people today when they're listing products online is you're generally probably going to overprice that. You want the most value for what it is you're listing. You're hoping someone's crazy enough to buy it. The market is really flush. Whereas insurance, the incentive is uh, completely different. You're trying to adequately and accurately appraise uh, your collection so that you're not overpaying for your insurance but you also don't want to undervalue yourself because you take such pride in your collection. And so I think with that sort of uh, scenario, coupled with the online data sources, there's a real credible and vetted data set around items and prices that you know, we're going to be able to create. How do you deal with a situation where somebody buys something at market value that's higher than the appraised value that it should be for the item? And, and how, how does that process work in terms of getting the correct appraised value and then unfortunately breaking the news to the buyer that their, that their purchase piece may not be what they thought it was? Yeah, that's a, a great question. And it's a bit of the secret sauce at Wax. So I don't want to dig into it too much. But the key area for us around fraud mitigation is whether that item has been priced within a reasonable range. And so generally what happens is if uh, uh, our algorithm picks up that something is beyond a, s a specific you know, uh, market medium, we usually have an underwriter follow up and go into detail with the collector as to why that item is a higher price. And it could be because it was you know, previously owned by a celebrity or an athlete. And then that's great. And we're happy with that. But we need supporting documentation to add into the file that gives 
you know, credibility to that. And at that stage, absolutely, you know, we're more than happy to ensure a, a piece at that size. But if it's just your regular item and it's within the reasonable range, that's cause for concern for, for us as an insurance company, for sure. Why do you think that traditional insurance companies have struggled to price in this way? It's a great question. I think it's insurance companies have been around for such a long time. And this is such a niche piece of business to them in their overall bucket of insurance. And in order to innovate within this specific piece, you need a lot of ecosystem partnerships to come into place as well as internal tech development to get around some of the you know, administration, claims management, price accuracy, replacement. And so it, it ends up being quite a arduous and admin driven process for an insurance company that doesn't have specific expertise. You know, someone sitting at an insurance desk who's an underwriter who's saying, oh, this Rolex was $10,000 when they bought it. Why are they listing it for $50,000 now? They filed a claim on it. Why should we pay $50,000 for something that was purchased at 10? And so, you know, I think that market has now evolved to a point where you know, the consumers are no longer accepting it. And on top of the fact that, as you mentioned earlier, not only is the collectible market growing, but the values of these pieces are, are growing too. And so right now we're seeing a ton of new users on our platform that a year ago had their collections on their home and renters, but because of price changes, their insurer will no longer take them on, regardless of whether they have an appraisal or not. And so you know, it is really interesting time for wax and, and the collectible space. On that point, is there a price point of people purchasing collectibles, particularly online? You talk about the rise of platforms like StockX, Goat, Rally Road, Alt, you name it, across the, the spectrum of collectibles. Is there a price point that people should think about getting their collectibles purchases or investments? They should probably be called investments, not purchases, because they should have some sort of value and be insured. But is there a price point that it makes sense for people and a price point where it doesn't? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's one that I ask on our show, Wax TV, and something that I've learned from all of the experts and collectors and folks that have built you know, products in this space is that you have to approach this market with a love and a passion first and investment second. And so I don't think that we're the, the right company to be giving investment advice around this. But what I will say is there's a lot of new entrants to the market and that's increasing prices for collectors. And you know, collectors that have been in this space for a while are very happy about it and also concerned. And I, I think when you look across all collectible categories, and this is something that we do have insight into, it's not focused on trading cards or watches. All alternative assets going through the roof and the market is crazy. Either this is something that is going to become a standard or a norm in terms of an investment vehicle, or we're heading towards a correction very soon. And I think the, the ridiculousness in the NFT market and what people are trying to get away with now is, is really probably what's going to you know, uh, be the tipping point for that. That's exactly where I wanted to go next when you said the broader alternative investment space. So how should people think about insuring NFTs or digital collectibles, whether they be 
crypto artwork like CryptoPunks, whether they be digital collectibles like so rare or some other nft that they create or, or has been created yeah it's in a new space wax is definitely focused on you know crafting a product for collectors in the nft space we're building a brand for collectors and so we would be remiss if we didn't include that part of the industry as part of our community and so we're working through various challenges of what does risk look like where is the downside protection what are the partnerships that we need to have in place but i think ultimately where we we should be going is that with data security and the collectible space and how those are intertwined with nfts being able to you know craft a policy that allows people to both ensure their physical world collections as well as their digital uh, and having a, a single source of creating a collection in your vault and wax that would be a great starting point for that. Do you think that people are even thinking about ensuring their digital collectibles? Yes, uh, it, it, it's been crazy. As soon as this became something that wax had put in you know, our roadmap for the community, the inbound has been overwhelming. I don't think it's necessarily just NFTs, but I think just the maturity of the crypto space has come to a point where legacy insurers are very skeptical and scared of the space and you know, therefore have not really adopted any strategy for it. And so, you know, now is really the time to do that because there are a lot of people that are getting involved and, and are going to need this. So are you telling me now that insurance companies like Mass Mutual, who've now invested in Bitcoin, are you going to be insuring them? Because they're now investing in crypto. So Wax is going to be the insurer for the insurer? <laughs> I, I don't know what the future holds, but what I do know today is that with what we've built, from a product standpoint and the consumer experience, what we've been able to understand from a market growth and you know, development perspective, as well as what the insurance industry really needs. We're really excited to be working with our carrier partners to really define this space. And they're excited to pioneer it too. I think it's been something that's been sitting on the shelf. You can't ignore it anymore. We're excited that we're pioneering this from a consumer perspective and wherever the insurance companies get involved, that's up to them. Uh, but there are a few that I think are more comfortable, have the right relationships and are exploring opportunities in the space. Are you seeing certain types of digital collectibles or physical collectibles be more popular given what you're seeing from the insurance purchases? Absolutely. Trading cards is by far the you know, most energized and, and growing asset class, both community and value-wise. We just recently kicked off our Discord channel. We've had a ton of trading card folks you know, join in uh, that conversation. And then you know, weekly, we have our clients updating their prices because the valuations are changing. So, On the trading card point, do you only insure graded cards. PSA is one grading company. BGS, another grading company. Those are cards that are graded by third-party uh, authenticators. Are those the only cards that you're insuring, or will you in insure raw cards that are purchased on eBay, let's say, or Instagram as well? We really take it on a case-by-case -case basis. We have an automated process for any graded cards, and then 
you know, what usually happens with folks that come on that have larger collections that are ungraded. We take a more personalized approach where we get on the call, we work through the collection, we try to create an inventory list. We look at what really should be graded and suggest they send that off to PSA. And then for the rest, we have a coverage policy for, for the rest of the card. Interesting. Is there, and I believe you actually have some ties to pl platforms like PSA as well. Are there things that you can do as a business to really integrate yourself well into the rest of the community and, and really help move this space forward. I'd imagine that insurance will be a big part of moving this space forward. If you can then link up with the PSAs or the BGSs of the world and help with everything from grading to insurance and that the full life cycle of a purchase. Absolutely. You know, a company like PSA, as you pointed out, is a grader and authenticator in the value chain that Wax has as an insurance company, they provide all of the product information, pricing, and building a relationship with companies that have that kind of information, have an authentication process that they stand behind for their clients. Those are the types of businesses that you know, we want to partner with. Affinity groups tend to have uh, far lower loss ratios. But I think in, in terms of you know, business context, anecdotally, 10 to 15 years ago, the property and casualty space you know, was 45% uh, intermediated and only 5% direct to consumer. And then came along Geico. And what they did is they were the first web uh, platform to offer in car insurance. They broke the brokerage market. And today, auto insurance out of the entire property and casualty market is the only line of business that has 25% plus direct to consumer presence online. And then when you look at collectibles and what Wax is building, more and more collectors are going to be purchasing online. There's more and more marketplaces. Being integrated at the point of sale and being able to provide insurance is definitely going to be a key value service to the community. Uh, and then you know, for Wax uh, as a business, where the order industry succeeded, we'll be able to follow the same path and help grow the, the direct-to-consumer uh, collectibles insurance line. Where do you think consumer psychology is when it comes to purchasing insurance? Is this something where if it's just wrapped in at point of sale, it becomes a no-brainer to do? Absolutely. Uh, I think that's definitely, again, been proven out by sort of the model in the order industry and the lag time that it takes in order to get a quote, discuss it with your broker, and then purchase insurance. And then again, you, you have this sort of breaking point uh, for a consumer as well, at what point is your collection valuable enough to insure? Most people will say as soon as you are collected, you're going to want to protect it. However, I think there is a point where the cost benefit of it is there. And I think that sort of value is at around $10,000. And you know, above that, it really is something that most folks should highly consider, especially if you're taking care of your collectibles and taking time to build your collection. And then your home and rent is just not going to adequately cover what you have. How do you think about a world where, if I'm making a comparison between the digital currency or crypto asset world, where platforms like Coinbase have existed, in large part to abstract away many of the difficulties of actually physically owning the asset itself, or managing the private keys, the custody of those assets. So we all rely on something like Coinbase to manage the entire process. If Coinbase were to get hacked or lose tokens that somebody owns, they would be the platform that would deal with insurance, not me as the end consumer. How do you think about 
a world of collectibles where people think of the purchase and ownership of collectibles lying with the platform and therefore the insurance lying with the platform versus the person actually owning the collectibles themselves, either physically or maybe it's sitting in a vault in one of their platforms or whatever. Yeah, I think custodianship is you know pivotal in the, the conversation around insurance and, and the security around that custodianship. I, I think going back to one of our original points around investors versus collectors, I think folks that are getting into the collectibles and alternative asset space as investors, they're going to be more than happy with having those assets stored in vaults. We know that with Otis and Rally Road, every, people are very comfortable buying fractional ownership and they're not taking physical custody over that. And I think with the uh, collector community, those who are actually taking physical ownership of their uh, collections, I think it really depends on asset class. I think the evolution of trading cards very likely could be you end up storing that in a vault and you buy and sell it. And if you want to take it out, it comes to you. However, things like watches and jewelry, those are usually assets that people like to have on hand. And so we've partnered with both a, a vault company and, and have a, a, a safe partnership for our collectors. So there's massive price savings if you have a safe in your home, and then you can also store your collection in a vault. And obviously the insurance is, is completely different in both scenarios. How do you then think about a hybrid world where, to your point, some people may own their jewelry or our watches or other collectibles physically in their own home? or maybe in a vault, but still they're the ones who retain that ownership and then own other collectibles on a platform like Alt, Rally, Otis, et cetera. How would you think about the insurance coverage and handling policies for the owner that has those kind of two disparate sets of collections in a sense? Yeah. So I, I would say, first of all, that would scare the hell out of the insurance companies. So my first suggestion would be that you know, we would obviously try and silo both scenarios. And if we look at the custodian scenario, if you're an investor and your assets that you've invested in are in the custody of a, a company or a fund or whatever the scenario might be, and they have insurance, you're going to be protected through their policy if there's any downside loss. And then if you have your own collection, you're obviously going to have your own uh, personal policy, which should cover you in that regard. So it's not that someone's ever going to have you know, policy that says, oh, I own, you know, uh, 100K in investments in an alternative asset platform, and I have insurance on that, and I have my collection. I, that's just not a, a viable scenario, I think, and, and uh, most would agree. That's fascinating. So what you're saying is you need more agile insurers in a world like this. As, as the world changes, it's not just having certain assets on platform and other assets at home, but then think about the insertion of NFTs and digital collectibles. We're living in a world where it feels like collectibles is going through a massive market structure shift where you now have digital collectibles to worry about too, not just the physical. Yeah, no, it's a great point. And insurance at the end of the day is, is a game of risk. And so when a legacy insurance company is looking at a uh, you know, nascent and growing industry like insurance, most of the people that are in those positions, they don't want to sink the ship. And so it's the job of companies like Wax to establish credibility, price transparency and trust within the collectibles community and show the insurers that, you know, this isn't a, a crazy wild, wild west world. And these people really do care about 
their collections and these collectibles are valuable and will continue to increase in value long term. And here's how we're establishing a trusted community and platform to ensure that that's the narrative long term. And I think if, if we can show insurers that and our community uh, of collectors can in, uh, show insurers that, that's how we're going to convince them long term. But you know, most are open to it. It's just getting into the risk and where the market is. Understandably, it, it's volatile. And so when you're trying to protect yourself from downside risk, you understandably could be pretty concerned of, around what's happening. Is there an insurer that you hold in very high regard and want to emulate when it comes to brand and trust because insurance is really at the end of the day about, like you said, risk, but then what goes along with that is brand and trust. And is there an insurer that you hold in some level of high regard? That's like, if I could create a brand like this, that would be a helpful to the consumer, be helpful to the space. Uh, maybe there's no brand that you love and that's why you're building wax. But I, I always think that's a fascinating question to hear an insure tech founder answer because they are often thinking about, okay, there's great brands in this space that do some things right, but here's where we think we can do better. No, absolutely. It's a great question. And there is, it's Haggerty Car Insurance. I'm a huge fan of both the company and the CEO, McKeel what they've done in terms of the collectibles car industry is incredible and beyond just insurance they have an engaged vibrant community they have car sharing they have their own media outreach community development and so when i look at the passion and mindset and ethos of that kind of community and look at what we're building here at wax and couple that with the excitement and the hype around the collectible space, that's a great model for us to go after. And I think there's a lot of learnings that we can provide, but I think what's unique about Wax in terms of the variety of collectibles is there's so many unique ancillary opportunities within these asset classes that as we've discussed, once you've built that uh, trust and credibility uh, around your assets and your products and their prices, going into these other opportunities and providing those value services to collectors becomes a, a far more seamless process. And so I think that really sets WAX apart from other tech companies that have innovated in other parts of the space. Do you think you have an opportunity that other techs don't to create community because of the asset that you that you're insuring where to your point vibrant engaged passionate people who care about this space it's the the toothbrush test right when you're going on to you know i don't want to name names but xyz app to buy renters insurance you're not going back on there uh, again until the next year same with auto and they certainly don't care when you file a claim to try and help you replace uh, your TV or your washing machine uh, for the exact same one. And so when you look at WAX and the asset class, the collectors, collectors in and out of collections all the time, they're wildly passionate. They care about credibility. They care about trust. They care about the communities they're a part of. They're engaged on online forums. They're well-educated. And so that, and then with the asset classes changing in price, all the time. There's a ton of opportunity to engage and build community around that. And then with the fact that the collectible space is just starting up and there are, you know, all these opportunities, 
having a community that's trusting us with their most valued possessions, giving us insights into what else they would like to see from us. You can't ask for anything better as a company. I think you're hitting on some really fascinating points as an insurance business. One is that you have really engaged customers who are thinking about this space all the time, but even more so than that, you're able to engage with your customer so much more often. In theory, if somebody's buying cards every day on eBay or any of these other platforms, they could be like having to insure their items on a daily basis. How many? I have a lot of close friends that are starting wax. <laughs> I mean, how, how many insurtechs have the ability and the chance to engage with their consumer and their user? on more than a maybe once or if not a few times a year basis on either the either when they sign up the claim or the renewal. No, absolutely. And I think what, what's also exciting is when our collectors do update their policies and we see what's in there, we're just as excited uh, to speak to them as they are to speak to us and get you know their, their collection protected, which is so awesome. And I think that really helps us in you know building a great brand uh, as well. That's that's fantastic. Well, I always end the podcast by asking everyone what their favorite or most interesting alternative investment is. I'm going to ask yours with a twist, though. Is Whatever this investment is, can you get it insured? And can you get it insured on wax? <laughs> I would say my heart really lies with Pokemon cards. And yes, you can absolutely get it insured on wax. In terms of interesting categories that I think will really define the market going forward, I think NFTs has got to be the one. I think, you know, not in its current state, but in a world where the physical collectibles industry and the digital interconnected and those assets in both worlds are also connected. That's really going to be where the collectible space has the opportunity to go to. And I'm really excited to be part of that journey. And you can help move that space forward by being the connective tissue that ensures that helps value it, all of those things. That's the vision. Well, that's fantastic. Calvin, thanks so much for coming on the Alco's Mainstream Podcast. No, absolute honor. Thank you very much for having me, Michael. Thanks for listening to this episode of Alco's Mainstream. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find more episodes of the podcast at any of your favorite podcast sites, and you can read more about alts at my substack, altgoesmainstream.substack.com, and follow me on Twitter at, at Michael Sigmore and at GoesAlt. Thanks a lot, and have a great day. We're going